Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. One of them is talking about think of your next presentation as a performance. We're also talking with Christina Sikiotis. Uh, what is innovation and what it's all about? And right now, we're going to have a chat with Steve Markey from Markey Insurance about underinsurance. Good afternoon, Steve. Afternoon, Julian. Thank you for joining us again. Insuring your business is a complex process, and as I understand, underinsurance is one of the biggest issues in the insurance industry today, and it's long history. Can you tell us why this is the case? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Julian. Um, yeah, this is a major issue, and I've had, as you know, I've had a late change on the today's subject, and I've done this out of sheer frustration and, and what we've been dealing with as insurance brokers. Um, following the recent April 2015 storms. Mm. So um, basically, the message I want to try and get to everybody is if you underinsure your stock or your contents, your plant and machinery, um, your business interruption or gross profit, whatever you want to call it, and you have a loss, you are going to go through a whole world of pain. There's no two ways about it. Okay, so you sound very passionate about this subject, and particularly as you had one this morning. Tell us what your business, what a business person needs to do to avoid this pain. Okay, well, there's a, there's a lot, however, and there's not enough time to go through it in its entirety, but we need to know this. Um, the key thing to remember is you must set your insurance limits or sums insured on your policy for any property, and you've got to set it at replacement value. Okay, so... For businesses that can claim 100% input tax credits, you exclude the GST component mm-hmm. in that replacement value. Um, this does not mean what you paid for it, or, or when you, or, or, or what you think you'd be happy with um, following a total loss. Um, so the best way to talk about is by example. Um, for buildings, you've got to ensure for what it'll cost to demolish the building, so remember that, demolish the building and remove all the debris and rubbish that comes out of it. You've got to redesign the building and you've got professional fees here. Um, Then you've got to rebuild the building to a state it was in before you suffered the loss. And plus there's other additional costs that may apply um, due to upgrading the property to comply with current regulations. So that can be having to put in bigger car parks or other fencing or other fire stuff. So it does cost a lot of money. So it's more than just to rebuild the building. And on contents, the same applies. So fit-outs, machinery and computers, they need to be replacements. So. I, I know we're talking business, but uh, I suppose the same thing does apply to the personal side of things, the houses and the contents of houses, doesn't it? Well, that's a good question, that one, and it's slight, it is slightly different. A lot of the householders' policies do, do not have what they call an under-insurance clause in it. Okay. So there's, there's little... I'm going to talk about the penalties you suffer a bit later, but the householders' ones quite often are... Not so bad. They're not so bad, um, but if you buy a cheap one, then they might still be in there, so <laughs> you've got to be very careful. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned business interruption insurance as well. How do people under-insure here? most frustrating part of all. Um, If your policy ensures gross profit, which is basically a cover which is designed to keep the business going following a major loss um, or repair, then you've got to tell your broker what your real gross profit is. So if you don't know what your gross profit is, then you need to basically insure for, if you're a manufacturer, it could be the turnover, less what the purchases are, because 
you're not operating, um, but you still want to pay your wages, you still got financial commitments, and you still want to pay, um, uh, you still want to make a profit, of course. Mm. Um, this figure is most neglected, and people fail to keep this figure up to date, mainly because they do not want to pay any more. Julian, yeah. which I can kind yeah. of understand. However, it's a waste of money in the end if you if you don't do it properly. It's sometimes not worth doing. So, so why why do you say it's a waste of money and and so important to ensure that you're not underinsured? Uh, well, to begin with, if you well, but the the ob, stating the bleeding obvious, you know, if you don't insure for you know what your your goods are worth, then you're going to end up with less. That's a black and white equation. Hmm. Um, but just as importantly, and this is the big one, this is, why, this is why I'm talking on this big subject today. If you do not insure correctly, the insurance companies will penalise you. That's okay. a big message. Mm. If you don't insure properly, you will be penalised. And, and the insurance companies quite likely reduce your claim payment even more. Like, this is what Australians refer to as the whip in the tail. And it's, um, it's a perfect way to describe what the penalties are. Well, so, so just go, take us through. What does happen? <clears throat> okay. Um, it's best explained by a simple example. So if we take a... If you own a building, Julian, and you suffer a major loss from fire, um, mm-hmm. then we have to go... The insurance company comes in, then we have to go and try and put it back to how it was. Mm. So let's say it costs half a million dollars to remove the rubbish... Um, rebuild a similar building and comply with the council regulations. So half a million dollars to do that, that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But you insured it for 250000 five years ago because that's what you paid for it, mm. which we hear that a lot, by the way. Mm. <laughs> that's got nothing to do with it, how much you paid for it. It's how much it's going to cost to replace it. Um, so this means ba- in, in, in a very basic sense, you're underinsured by 50%. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So how much do you think that the insurance company is going to pay you for the rebuild? Well, well, I've paid a premium on 250000 so that's what I should get. Yeah, and that, that kind of makes logical sense. However, um, as you're only insured for 250000 and therefore underinsured by 50%, the insurer will only pay at most around 156000 which is just over the 50% mark. So... Even though you paid your 250000 you are not going to get it. Um, so many policies out there only require you to be within 80% of the replacement value. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a little bit of a leeway there, and that's why um, I'm saying there that you, you, you get a little bit more than 50%, but um, it still hurts. So uh, do these same rules apply to your insurable gross profit? They do. And this is where we see most under-insurance issues, um, more than in the property. So you cannot under-insure your gross profit either. And I suppose one of the issues with gross profit is that a lot of businesses, unfortunately I still see out there, don't do their bookkeeping very quickly and therefore they really don't know what their gross profit currently is. That's right. Yeah, a lot of people don't. And then a lot of people look at it as an accounting gross profit. Yeah. That's another big subject. Um we're actually talking about an insurable gross profit, which is slightly different okay. and takes in more into account. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's discussions business people need to have with a broker that knows what they're talking about um, to set the right sum insured. So is there anything else I should watch for before we finish? Oh, there's always something to watch for. 
<laughs> and your broker can tell you more on this, but removal of debris. So just banging on about this removal of debris. Yeah. Don't underestimate how much it costs to get rid of waste and um, like demolished goods, especially if you have any asbestos or even think you might have some asbestos in roofing or in your building. And anything that's either toxic or could, could become toxic if it's exposed to fire or water, mm -hmm. um, the, the costs to remove that kind of stuff are enormous because you can't just go and dump it in a normal dump. Um, so, yeah, you've got to really watch how much it's going to cost to remove debris. Can I have another uh, passionate subject next time? Yes, we could. <laughs> We could talk about that even more. Next, next, next time we talk, I'm thinking we may discuss a very, very touchy subject in our industry, and that's how government taxes on the insurance. You, yeah. Everybody pays, you know. Yeah. Everyone thinks the insurance company get all that money you pay them, but they really only get Move about it. half. Okay. So. Sounds, sounds interesting. Mm. Well, have a great week, and we'll have a chat with you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Steve Markey there helping us to understand the vital thing of making sure you're not underinsured. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Coming up to 25 minutes past one, time to have a chat with Christina Sikiotis. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you this week? I'm very well, and we're going to talk about what is innovation. We are, and I know we talk about innovation every week, but, you know, I've been reading lots about the buzzword of innovation and politicians everywhere seem to be using it at the moment. So let's just recap a definition, which is doing something new that creates value with the emphasis on doing. So we've, we've discussed before that it's not just ideating, um, it's not just coming together with ideas and things like that. You actually have to do something about it for it to be um, innovation. Then I'm thinking about all the different terms that, that keep on being used at the moment and we seem to be putting all our eggs in one basket as far as manufacturing and things like, you know, the different all the conversations around commodities and things like that go. And there's not much emphasis on diversification. And if we look at the word diversification, really what it is is research and development. It's coming up with new ideas, new ways, and then acting on them being the, the um, innovative part of any business. So what we really need to be doing is creating conditions that allow innovation. We, we need to create enablers. And I think we've discussed, and we mentioned it last week as well, about starting with education. And we need to stop churning out people that wrote, learn for um, exams and things like that. We've got the HSE starting next week or the week after. I'm not quite sure when. I think it's the mm. week after. Mm. We need to be encouraging thought and creativity. So I was reading about an app that's been developed because one of the common questions asked by math students, we're all into STEM and trying to get people back into maths and science, because that's truly, you know, it's a creative and innovative field, is the math and science field. Um, there's a there's a three Queensland of University Technology alumni who are actually answering the question, why do I need to know this? So a lot of the times, um, students say, well, why do we need algorithms and why do we need logarithms? And when it comes to math, because we've got calculators and we've got programs that kind of do this for us. Mm. So these guys have addressed um, this issue and they've put it all together. Um, in a problem-based math, yeah, in an app. Mm. And the, hot, the app takes them through real-life scenarios. So it puts math into a context. So it might be contemplating an algebra problem um, in terms of fashion design. Uh, and it might, and it's, uh, they're aiming the app at Year 9 initially, but I think it has real merit, and it might actually take off because we've gone beyond the point of doing things just because. People want to know why. We, we keep talking about why and purpose as well. 
So what's the purpose of learning this thing? It's because you want to put it into real-life scenarios. The other thing I was reading about was um, a group of teachers acting as a not-for-profit group called the Code Club who are actually teaching. They've taught over 5,000 students already the art of coding. Wow. And coding is coming into the, natural, into the national curriculum. They're going to make it a part of um, the national curriculum, I think, in 2017. But these teachers are actually doing it now. For me, that's really useful innovation. Mm. That's teachers mm. actually taking hold of, of something that's going to take these students into the future um, and doing something with purpose. Mm. Well, next week we might have a look at uh, the uh, Malcolm Turnbull uh, um, forum that he's holding today because he's particularly focusing in on how businesses in Australia need to be more innovative. So be interested to see what comes out of that forum. It will. And one of the things about successful innovative nations is that they connect large business, small business, research and development um, with government. And they're, mm. they're four tightly integrated um, organisations and that come together in truly innovative nations. So that would be great to talk about that next week. Great. Well, you have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiotis there with what is innovation and here we talk about it a lot and it's a word that's used but is it really happening? We'll wait and see what happens. Well it's time to have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips and uh, I like this one. Think of your next presentation as a performance. Whether you're giving a presentation in a conference room or telling jokes in a comedy club, storytelling is the best way to keep your audience hooked. Keep these tips in mind to make your next presentation more engaging. Firstly, take a bar exam. Imagine you're in a noisy bar with only a napkin drawing to tell your story. You can make it work there. You can make it work anywhere. Secondly, be immediately interesting. Your first line or two sets the tone for the whole presentation. Next, simplify and exaggerate. Your audience can only remember a few details, so streamline your delivery and exaggerate the main points. And finally, close strong. People instinctively create, crave strong, simple resolutions. Refer back to your opening lines to bring the story full circle. We often hear about the importance of telling stories, and that's an, always a very powerful way of communicating and presenting your ideas. And thank you for being with us for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've had a chat with Steve Markey from Markey Insurance about the underinsurance issue. And yes, let's make sure that we get that right and innovation. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll enter the tax world again with Tony Vidray. Have a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis and we'll look at some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Dale Carnegie once said, you can close more business in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you.